Core Stories, Ordinary Marines, Extraordinary Lives. Hey y'all, today we get to know Colin Conkleton, who is an extraordinary Marine because he showed great courage as a volunteer casualty replacement. That's tough, that's tough duty. Not only does it require a tremendous amount of Marine Corps skill and chops, it's very hard to integrate. And he stuck his hand up to be volunteer from his unit. Also, he is an, just a gifted marksman. He's not somebody you would want to invite to a marksmanship competition. Don't do it. And lastly, he is an extraordinary scholar. He has barreled through undergraduate, law school, passed the bar on the first take, unreal. So this is a two-part podcast because our interview was so wonderful. It just lasted a long time. So I split it up into two. In the first part, we get to know his Marine Corps experience. And it's an extraordinary story. I learned about an incredible episode with Map 7, 325's Map to 7, that I really need y'all to hear. And then the second part will be about extraordinarily innovative ideas he has about communities facing policing issues. He has so much knowledge and experience as a police officer. So... Anyway, hit subscribe. I'll catch you on the backside and and listen to part two. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to see you. You as well. So how I got here, I guess, is maybe not as traditional uh, a path as, as you may typically get from a lot of Marines. So for me, out of high school, I was actually looking at the Naval Academy. I was very fortunate. I had some, I guess you would say neighbors that lived down the road from me. This this woman was a uh, substitute teacher in my high school. And we got to be friends. It was I, I grew up in a very small town, a, a little one square mile town called Butler in uh, northern New Jersey. And so a small town, we, we got to be friends and her husband was a former Marine officer. And I grew up in a, a lower middle class family. College wasn't really an option unless I could provide that for myself. Right. And so they were giving me some guidance, this woman and her husband, and were steering me towards the Marine officer route and the Naval Academy helped me to get into the summer seminar down there and I, I did all that and my senior year while in the application process I also applied for a marine option naval ROTC scholarship with that you apply to college on your own it's it's on you to get accepted to a college that offers the program and I went down to visit university of South Carolina in Columbia and I, I just fell in love with the place and I was very fortunate to get accepted there and that was I listed that as my number one choice for the Marine Officer Scholarship 
it, which I also got. I believe it was one of 17 awarded in the state of New Jersey. Absolutely love it. Uh, I was I was very, very fortunate. I went down there and long story that I, I don't think uh, we have time to get into here, but it didn't work out. I was able to do a DOR because of an injury that I sustained. Mm -hmm. And I was also having academic issues. I was having a lot of family issues that year, just a, a lot of stuff going on. And so I went back home to Jersey and the Marine Corps remained something that I desperately wanted to do. I ended up becoming a cop. I got hired by the Morris County Sheriff's Office when I was 20 years old. And I make it through my probationary period and I'm finding that I'm just not really thrilled with the job. And at the time, this is now 2003, 2004 time frame. So we're well into Afghanistan and now into Iraq as well. And a local Marine officer, a guy by the name of JT Robluski, was killed in Iraq. And at the same time, Pat Tillman was killed. Mm -hmm. And those things just really, I, I recall that they really weighed on me. And, and the way that the law enforcement profession works in New Jersey with civil service, it was, I won't say unheard of, but I couldn't find anybody at the time who went into the military after being on the job. But what I found was that my job would be protected based on the laws for the Guard and Reserve. And so I looked at particularly uh, Pat Tillman's story and I said to myself, here's a young man who left a multi-million dollar NFL contract and, and went and did what he did. I have a, a, a far less significant job that will be here when I get back, if I, if I get back, how can I not do this? And, and I knew that I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't give it a shot. And so on my lunch break one day, I walked into a recruiting office and I enlisted uh, in, in the Marine Corps in the reserves so that I could keep that job. So I went and I went to Paris Island. I was with, uh, 3rd Crew Training Battalion, Platoon 3002, from October of 04 till early January of 05. Right after boot camp, went to infantry school. I was contracted as a machine gunner, 0331. Went to uh, SOI from January through March of 2005. And then I checked into Golf Company, 2nd Battalion, 25th Marines in March of 2005. As fate would have it, and this is how you and I came to know each other, I think, I, I checked into my unit and that very first drill, the company gunny, uh, very well-known guy in, in this area in, in New Jersey and New York, a uh, guy by the name of Gunnery Sergeant Mario Monaco, gets out in front of the company and explains to us that uh, 3rd Battalion, 25th Marines is downrange in Iraq at the time and they're losing a lot of guys. And they're asking for volunteers to come over as combat casualty replacements. 
And uh, it, it was just one of those moments uh, in life that you, I, I guess some guys would call it like a, like a coming to God moment. Like here I am, I just graduated infantry school. I'm just checking into a unit and here was an opportunity to go do really what I, what I signed up for. I, I knew I signed up while things were at their at their height essentially uh in iraq and afghanistan how could i not at this moment raise my hand it, it i would have been ashamed if i didn't and so i did and i i went with i i want to say it was about 65 guys maybe roughly that all came together down at camp lejeune some were involuntarily recalled from the IRR. Most were volunteers. I think out of the 65 that showed up down there for like a six week rapid deployment training evolution, I think maybe 40 some odd ended up going over. Finishing. And, and so we went and joined 325. When we got on deck over there, most of the guys were assigned to security positions and they took the handful of us that were weapons MOSs, so machine gunners, mortarmen, assaultmen, and so on, and assigned us to a weapons company. And so we were put into what was called at the time MAP teams, mobile assault platoon teams. And again, as, as fate would have it, I was assigned to KBAR 7, which was with a, a bunch of phenomenal guys, including some of the guys that you've interviewed, Corporal Corbin, Corporal Schuler, now I believe Captain Schuler, just some some incredible men. Those two earned the Navy Cross and the Silver Star uh, for action just a couple weeks before I got there. And uh, when did you when did you arrive in theater? I got over there in July of 2005. So the incident at Haditha Dam had happened just prior. Haditha uh, Hospital. Yeah. Haditha Hospital was in May. So yeah. it was just, I, I kind of have to stop and interrupt you here because oh. for those who are listening and not watching, it's very, I'm trying so hard to hold back tears here. I'm ruining my makeup because of, it's a, it's a extraordinarily tragic season for the Marine Corps. This was the, you were assigned to the unit that had the most casualties in the entire war. Yeah. And you were assigned there after a series of horrific events. It wasn't, it wasn't just May, it was in March, May, June. So there were a number of, that battalion just had no, no relief. I think in the end they lost 48, lost, 48, killed. 48 Marines and sailors killed in action and probably, uh, and this is an estimate, I, I think it was over a hundred Purple Hearts in addition to those that were KIA. Yeah. And, and so just to give the um, listeners some background there, just between regarding Colin and I, so I didn't know anything about because it was the battalion, as you say, kind of grew and shrunk and grew and shrunk. There are people in and out that I, and to tell you the truth, that KBAR 7 event at the Daitha Hospital just was like the deep black hole of my writing career. It was so intense research and writing. But that event, as you say, there was a Navy Cross for Todd Corbin. 
and a silver star for Jeff Schuler, and they both remained. So they were there when you got there, even though either one of them could have, they were both, I think they both received Purple Hearts, but they, either one of them could have said, I'm done, I'm out of here. And they didn't, they stayed. And right. so when I met you and I talked to Jeff Schuler about you, who never says anything nice about anybody, <laughs> he said, oh, Colin, he's like the best marksman. I'm like, what? Did you actually say that? And he said, yeah, he was, he was given the 50 caliber right upon arrival, which is just like, I'm like, oh my golly, I'm in the presence of royalty yeah. here. So, uh, so the fact that you made that impression with these extraordinarily seasoned Marines, combat Marines, especially, and that their legacy was, didn't end there. So yeah, that just the listeners really needed to know that about you. And I knew you wouldn't put it in, so I had to put it in. <laughs> yeah, it, again, one of those things that you look back and, and it was clearly just a fate kind of thing. I arrive in theater, I get assigned to that team, which was a, a tremendous stroke of luck. I mean, some of the, the most phenomenal Marines you could ever hope to serve with. Todd Corbin, was like myself a sheriff's deputy and uh, and remains now he's sheriff and, and now, right and uh, Schuler, this this all-american wrestler from ohio state and all the guys in the team were just phenomenal there there were incredible there, there was an incredible writer there were family men there were just all these this incredible compilation of young men that just had tremendous impact on me and and I get there and within I think it was the first week that I was there we that team was assigned as the PSD when that was required uh, the personal security detail for the battalion commander sergeant major any incoming VIPs and one day very early on the sergeant major needed to go to a fob out in uh hit in the city of hit mm -hmm. we were operating out of camp hit and this guy randy idiakes who was a, a young junior marine lance corporal and and this i struggled with this for a long time but itty as we called him took my seat in, in, in a truck he and he bumped me back to a seven ton the way the map teams were set yes. up was you had uh three humvees and a seven ton and uh, he took what was my seat in this humvee to sit with the sergeant major and uh, that truck ended up getting uh hit by a, a suicide bomber a van laden with explosives driven by what we estimated to be a, about a 12 year old boy and Itty was was wounded in that incident. And at the time, being an outsider and a, and a boot PFC, I, I got promoted to Lance Corporal later in August. So I was as, as boot as boot could be. And Itty, Itty quickly befriended me, just being the kind of man that he is, where all these guys were so tight after being through so many horrific things together already, I was definitely an outsider. And while my heart was in the right place in, in joining them, I hadn't earned my place among them yet. And Itty, with no regard for that, just wanted to treat me good. And I love it. 
I didn't so, know that. I didn't know that story. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So in that incident, the Marine that that had been one of the turret gunners, uh, guy by the name, and, and this is going back now 15 years, and I haven't seen him since. So forgive me if I, I get this wrong, but I, I believe his name was Jay Monkelbon. He was injured in that incident, had his eardrums blown out and some other injuries. So I went to the platoon sergeant and I said, I'm a school trained machine gunner. I know the 50 very well. I know all the, the weapon systems, the 240, the Mark 19. If you're gonna have to shuffle some guys around or if you just need me to, to step into that role, I would be happy to do it. And that's what ended up happening. So I, I took over the position as the 50 cal turret gunner on the number two truck in the team. And I remained there for uh, the rest of that deployment. And we we went through, the, the team had been through quite a bit prior to my arrival. And we went through quite a bit in the time, in the brief time that I was there from about July through October. I think we, we left September 30th. We got back to Lejeune, I think right right on the, first of October and by that time it was as you touched on it was 48 KIA from that battalion which was a huge huge number well there was it was it was huge and it was as I say the worst in the for any unit but it was these massive losses at one in one event like yeah Six-man sniper team killed in one event. I believe it was 14 killed in another event where a uh, V went over a double-stack anti-tank mine. There, there were numerous incidents like that. The majority of those killed during that deployment were from IEDs, which was which was very which was very frustrating because as Marines we are more than happy to engage in combat. That's our reason for existence. That's our purpose. Uh, and and to engage in a firefight is, is one thing, and I think something that most Marines would say they welcome. Yes. But to get hit with an IED and then have no, no way of hitting back was incredibly frustrating. So that, that, was, that was difficult, but so that was my first deployment. I I came back to 225, checked in to uh, Weapons Platoon, a golf company back there as a machine gunner. I was there until summer of 2007 when I went through the application process for the battalion's state platoon, Scout Sniper Platoon, and I was accepted to that and I transferred up to H&S Company at Garden City, Long Island, and stepped into to the state platoon. I stayed there until I got out in 2012. We deployed in 2008-2009, by which time I was a corporal and eventually promoted to sergeant. Served in a variety of roles there as a training NCO, and, and ultimately when I got out, I was a scout sniper team leader. And for any of the guys from the sniper community that might hear this, I have to uh, say this. I was a proud pig. I was not a hog. You're going to have to break that down, unpack that for so, us. So in the, in the sniper community, kind of like in the rest of the Marine Corps, you have <laughs> the grunts and pogues, and that sometimes 
sometimes is an important distinction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the in the scout sniper community in the Marine Corps, you have pigs and hogs. A pig is a professionally instructed gunman. A hog is a hunter of gunmen. To earn the coveted title of hog, you have to graduate from the Marine Corps Scout Sniper School and earn your hog's tooth. And the school seats are tough to come by, particularly in the reserves. And I had at one point a school seat. I, I got injured and wasn't able to go to, to the schoolhouse. When we came back from deployment, we went to the bottom of the list for school seats. And I ended up getting out before I ever got to go to school for the school. I was very, very fortunate in that the senior Marines in the platoon, all of whom were were school trained snipers, all of whom were hogs. One in particular, Jason Delgado, who's got a great book out. He was actually a sniper instructor for MARSOC in their early days. And he was one of the guys who, who put a lot of time into training me and, and put me into that position of sniper team leader. Everything in that community is based on merit. And so yeah. it's something I'm, I'm very proud to be able to say that I was able to, to serve in that role. But it's important, as I said, for anybody from that community who might be listening to to make that known because it, it is an important distinction. So I uh, see it. I see your four-legged friend behind you, and he's got he's scouting something back there. Yeah, yeah, that's Astra. She's a puppy still. Yeah, got her in January, so she's she's only about six months old. So yeah, she's she's a she was a rescue she's a pit mix but she looks very much like uh black lab yeah yeah she's got that snout so i can see her hunting she's that's she's a hunter yeah, yeah i love it okay so okay so we have this image yeah. of you as this sheriff's deputy marine sniper extraordinaire is how <laughs> how you're known in the oh it's true stop it Listen, if Sh if Schuler said it, come on now, how that goes. So he's for listeners, Jeff Schuler, he's not perfect, but he is an icon. He he has done an awful lot. Well, a lot of different roles in the Marine Corps, but also he was really bulletproof that day that he was in the turret. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I implore anybody who listens to this to Just go look him up. Yeah. Look at his story. It is amazing. And it, uh, it's really it's miraculous. It, it really is. And, and you say he's not perfect, but as Marines go, yeah, yeah. he is he is as close to uh a role model and, and as you said, an icon. He's an icon. As as, as any Marine you'll find. I mean he's he just is. amazing. He really is he apparently said to you is, is quite humbling and it was one of the greatest privileges of my life to be able to serve next to him and the rest of the men in that team yeah so it's you're thinking of mayor we were talking yeah, about yeah, you're thinking yes, of mayor. Yeah, mayor, yeah, yeah. mayor is the writer i believe you were talking about another one of the hadaiva hospital ambush heroes total i mean it's it was just a and on, you read about it. It's I have I did the most research on that event of any Marine Corps writer, but I think you'll agree with it. It's a damn shame that he wasn't recognized more appropriately for what he did that day. I, I think that yeah. his his valor award should have been higher. higher. Yeah, and I think that could be said for all of them. And I, and I think anybody who who looks at the Navy Cross citation for Todd Corbin, 
would look at that and say, and say Medal of Honor, right? And, and also for Kalinowski, I think that the, yeah. the, we all signed on to an upgrade for Cal because he was the one with his dominant hand completely destroyed in that event, feeding ammo to Schuler, who held off the enemy long enough for Corbin to collect everybody and get that seven ton of rolling out of there. Yeah, so just it's an amazing story. But basically, the story is that they called out to the hospital because the hospital was under attack and then they were trapped by yeah. the insurgents and this suicide van as you were describing happening so many times was what what took out the and but in the end in the end so and then forward dead 16 purple hearts an eight cross silver star and three or four bronze stars i can't remember how many so yeah it is a huge compliment from from Schuler, Stan Mayer definitely deserved an upgrade. So did Kalinowski, and probably, probably a number of others. But in the end, I I can see why you were so proud to be with that unit. Even though, from my perspective, um, I didn't know you then. I would have been shaking in my boots the entire time after you arrived, and before you all shipped home, because it was a just such a they had such a target on their back. Yeah. Well, you know. In, in the, if you step back and, you know, look at the, the big picture and in the big scheme of things, I'm so grateful for that time. It, it was without a doubt the worst and most difficult time in my life, but also the best. And I think many Marines who, who served in combat would quickly understand this. It, it gave me perspective for, for so many other situations in my life and it prepared me for other things. The difficult things that you go through are are usually I think the most important and I mean man that was that was a that was a hell of a time and we we went through a lot together but we we survived it and that just, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful for the example that those men set for me when I was a young man at a time in my life where I was trying to figure it out. Now, now so, but not a lot of, you have really had a different path, an unusual path since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what intrigued me for this podcast is that, so many Marines have served and served with such valor like you and, and the people you're, but it's not that frequent when the education subsequent to combat becomes so precious to you. So t talk about that, that journey sure. to here. Yeah. So we get back in 05, late in 05, and at the time, I was working for the Morris County Sheriff's Office in New Jersey, which is a, a kind of a suburban and in some parts rural area. For a number of reasons, I'll just say I was not satisfied with where I was at. And so I looked to make a move and I ended up going out to Jersey City to the police department there. And uh, Jersey City is, is a tough town. <laughs> So much better fit for me and that it was at the same time that I ended up going over to State Platoon. Both happened in the summer of 07. So I ended up getting out of the Marine Corps in 2012 
and I had some GI Bill benefits. And I had that one year of college under my belt that I didn't finish. And that for me was something on my, on my bucket list, if you will. It was, you know, something I felt compelled to finish. And so, and obviously I didn't want my GI Bill benefits to go to waste. So I enrolled in classes in two, I guess it was 2012, I was 30. At the time I was going on just about 10 years on the job as a cop. Went to New Jersey City University in Jersey City. Excuse me one second, I'm just gonna. Yeah, so I went to NJCU, pursued a bachelor's of science in national security studies. I graduated in 2015. And so that was, it was about two and a half years it took me to, to bang out my bachelor's. Oh, working full time. I, I was working full time. At, at the time I was in our uh, street crimes unit in the violent crime squad in Jersey City. So we were, uh, we were getting after it and I was going to school full time. But again, as I said before, the, the perspective that I gained from that deployment in 2005 and, and from my experience in, in the Marine Corps overall, my idea of what's what difficult is or what work is, is is perhaps different than your average person. It altered that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all relative, but having, having been a grunt and a combat vet, going to school wasn't that hard. So I finished up there and I still had about a year and a half of GI Bill benefits remaining. And I, and I wanted, I found that I liked school. I, I liked learning. I felt that it made me uh, better. It made me better as a cop and, and better as a human. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I felt very strongly. I saw up close some of the, the losses experienced by 325. And in a number of incidents, like the one with Idiot, there was this sense that that very easily could have been me and perhaps should have been. And so I felt a deep obligation to make the most of the gift that was given to me. Take your time. By those Marines who didn't come home to earn that and to not squander it. And, and that's been a, a powerful motivator for me to just do everything I can to get the most out of the life that they gave to me and, and to honor them and to honor the sacrifices that they've made. And so, Pursuing my education, I saw as just one of one of those things. So, when I finished undergrad, I was looking at master's programs, and a, a very good friend of mine, a guy that I'm still real close with today, by the name of Ari Moss. He's a he's currently a captain in the NYPD. We were police academy classmates. He went through the academy with me in, in New Jersey and went to work for West Orange PD and then later left and went to NYPD. But he had just finished law school and he said, you should, you should really apply to law school. 
And I said, you're out of your mind. There's no way I would get into law school. I'm just, I'm just some grunt. I, I, I couldn't even fathom such a thing. And Ari is, is a brilliant guy and knew exactly how to motivate a Marine. He goes, yeah, you're right. You probably couldn't get in. Hey, y'all. Do we love Colin so far? I mean, he's kind of the first half. Second half, maybe even better. Anyway, check it out, subscribe, and I'll catch you in the next one. Core Stories. Ordinary Marines. Extraordinary Lives.